Hello, welcome to another episode of the Gridcoin Fireside here on the Gridcoin Discord server. Today is March 26, 2021. We're going to be talking about some hot Reddit threads that have been posted over the past couple days, really. Uh, and if we have time, we'll, we'll continue last week's discussion on Gridcoin at an introductory level by talking about the implications of Gridcoin, maybe some secondary incentive structures. We'll expand on some of the stuff uh, we spoke about last week um, and, and whatnot. Just to just give you a little more heads up about what's going on. Uh, but first, hey, what's up? Join us every every Friday. I'm just getting so sick of saying this part, but join us every Friday at 3.30 p.m. Eastern on the uh, Gridcoin Discord server where you can join live in the voice or text chat. And keep an eye out for some live streaming episodes on Odyssey in the near future. They just released it today. Uh, it's a neat new feature. means we can, we can do some live streaming stuff. And if you want to help out with production with the OBSs and the, the fun video stuff, um that would include like when i start talking about one of these reddit threads for example you bring up the reddit thread on the live stream so people can follow along just by looking at the screen uh feel free to reach out to me on discord and we'll get it set up uh otherwise yeah we've got a couple good well news first there's still the mandatory i mean if you're not updated at this point where the hell have you been but you should be on 5.3 uh and i think this one is running smoothly this mandatory uh, fixed a corner case that unfortunately was at the consensus layer, so it had to be a mandatory update. Um, other than that, there's not much news going on besides these great discussions that the, the community is starting. So shout out to everyone who is starting and participating in these discussions, asking these questions. Um, some of them are coming from people who I think have been around for a while and, and some are coming from new users. All questions are welcome. All ideas are welcome. Um, there are if you're a new person to crypto, though, just be prepared. Some of the ideas just won't work, period. And we'll try to let you know as, as in as nice a way as possible. <laughs> uh, we'll start off with this one called Gridcoin Veterans. Why was Gridcoin unlisted from previous exchanges? Uh, the very short and simple answer of this to this is, oh. Um, but <laughs> the reason for that is exchanges do not uh, disclose why they dis delist coins. They will put out general guidelines as to why your coin might be delisted, but not like your coin specifically, but why a coin might be delisted. Um, let's use Bitrix as an example. We were delisted by them in 2018 or 19, I think. I don't know. Uh, but they had guidelines out like low trading volume, insecure code. Um, I don't even remember SEC violations. Uh, they just had standard guidelines. You know, every every exchange has the same ones, and those are the big three ones, I suppose. Uh, liquidity issues, uh, minimum trading or trading price, right? Because you don't want, as an exchange, it's it it is a risk you assume if you have a coin that's selling for like two satoshis, which means that if it goes up to four satoshis, it's just doubled in price. So if you have to fill orders to uh, fulfill withdrawals. You're now paying a shit ton of of money to fulfill those withdrawals. Like, so you need some exchanges impose a minimum price. Um, that said, we actually did have discussions with Bitrix about our coin. They did not tell mm -hmm. us why they delisted, um, but we have a good relationship with them. I would say, if I were to guess why we delisted, I don't think it has anything to do with volume, guys. It um, that's because there are coins up there uh, that have as low a trading volume as we had. Uh, I don't think it had anything to do with SEC violations because Gridcoin does pass every single test that we can think of in terms of it's not a freaking security. In fact, the big whale problem 
that uh, we, we talk about a lot having to do with the 2014 fork. That fork happened because this coin was started in the best way possible to keep us from being a security. There was literally zero pre-mine when this coin was started. Uh, it was started as pure open source code. Anyone could just download it and mine the first block. Um, and so it had a proof of work. <laughs> there, was, there was a proof of work uh, era for a year where the initial coins were generated. And then those initial coins can then bootstrap a uh, proof of stake consensus system. The unfortunate problem is that during that fork, the economics were changed in such a way that it just made zero sense. But that has nothing to do with an SEC violation. That's, that does not make us a security. There was no pre-mine. Some coins that were pre-mined uh, violated SEC, but there was also no guidelines at that point. It was the Wild West, man. That was interesting time. Uh, SEC violations do actually, in fact, mean that we fouled too much in college basketball, Jeff Goldblum. This is Truth, absolute truth. Um, so again, it, it is very likely not low volume. Uh, if the the mo most likely thing I can think of is just you guys need to understand how bad the code of Gridcoin was. If any security auditor went after that code, and I imagine some of these exchanges security audit the coins they list because it's again a risk they assume, um, they would laugh. <laughs> there were. There were some pretty big um, security holes that may or may not be exploited. We don't know. They were. It was not great code. Uh, first of all, proof of research itself. So building um, boink crunching into the consensus layer is a gigantic security flaw. Because if you're using boink crunching to secure the blockchain, you're opening it. If boink gets attacked, your blockchain gets attacked. Uh, so that had to stop. Proof of research dropped out in 2016, 15 or 16. We stopped using proof of research to secure the blockchain or, or crunching to secure the blockchain. That's why we don't use the term proof of research because the amount of research you do has no bearing on uh, your probability of staking a block. We're just pure proof of stake with a second layer incentive. So I actually put it very nicely on a thread we'll talk about in a second. Um, so my guess would be the, the code was just bad and they didn't want to deal with it. They didn't want to assume that risk. Now though, we have Fern. Fern is essentially a complete rewrite of Gridcoin almost from the ground up. I mean, it took what it could from the old stuff, uh, but it's also the team requirement removal. <laughs> it's a, mostly a rewrite of Gridcoin and it is a, seemingly so far good like done well, secure, there's a couple bugs that are being worked out, but the, the the response from developers outside of Gridcoin who, you know, th their response was generally, I looked at Gridcoin in 2015, the code was shit, I walked away, I've come back after Fern, and now it looks like this is pretty good, this is pretty decent, how can I help, sort of stuff. So that's a good indication on, on how good the rewrite was. And again, I wanna stress, this was Jim and Sai, they just rewrote the entire coin. This is why it's so easy just to say, this is their coin. Because without that rewrite, Gridcoin would never be listed on another exchange. It would, I would not be surprised if it lost the current exchanges it's on. Um, so that is my guess. But again, it's just a guess. So who the hell knows? Exchanges do what's best for them. They're in their own best interests. It's perfectly reasonable. Um, okay, so proposal. The next one is, uh, if, I'm going to cruise through these. If anyone has any thoughts on it, just feel free to cut me off. Um, the next Post says uh, proposals to reward staking only if it produces 
um, Boink work units. So this has to do with the security flaw I mentioned, but it also brings up another point. We're a blockchain, guys. That's the first thing you are. We are. That's the first layer. On top of that, we have built a second layer that rewards people for distributed computing and uh, distributed computing on Boink. And um, we might develop a, a, um, another second layer, an incentive layer that uh, rewards people for distributed computing and folding at home. We might develop another layer, a third layer. So this isn't an incentive layer, but a different type of layer that lets people publish on the Gridcoin blockchain, publish science and get rewarded for it. Maybe we develop another layer that lets people stake their coins and boost magnitude. Maybe we develop another layer that lets people get accredited, all that stuff. But the base layer, without which none of the other stuff would be possible, is a blockchain based on cryptographic proofs, which is a consensus layer, proof of stake. Um, so yes, we all think that crunching should be rewarded more uh, just a lot, really. And we as a network have chosen a 75% to 25% distribution of all Gridcoin minted, 75% going to crunchers. So we as a network has said pretty loudly, most of our new coins are actually going to crunching. The problem is, and th this is the problem raised in the, in, the, in the post, although not directly, is that there's just a lot of crunchers. So yes, 75% of new coins are going to crunchers, but that 75% is distributed among thousands of crunchers. Uh, like there's a lot. And then that 25% is distributed among a much fewer subset, much smaller subset of crunchers. So uh, are people. So most of the crunchers, for example, use the GRC pool or our, our Ikata pool, use a pool, and those pools stake a lot. So that's fine. But then there's also the whales. The whales stake a lot because they have most of the GRC and they a lot of them got it in the proof of work bootstrap era. Um, then everyone else, the individuals, the solar crunchers that have like five to 10,000 GRC, they don't stake that often. They do stake occasionally. But really what it looks like when you look at the, the math, is a lot of GRC going to a few wallets just because they're heavy holders. A couple of those wallets are the GRC pools, so keep that in mind. And so it seems like the wealthier are getting wealthier. And that is a proof of stake problem. That is a, a flaw of proof of stake. Known um, is a known flaw. It's been a known flaw for the entire time proof of stake has existed. Uh, but you know, you implement something and you try to iterate. So there are some technical stuff these technical developments being developed by other coins that might do some cool stuff with like pool staking and all that stuff. But for now, that's just the reality of it. And it sucks. It is what it is. The whales could distribute their funds and create a network effect and, and make more stakers. You know, a whale with 40 million GRC could maybe set up an initiative with 5 million GRC where they um, reward retroactively people who've been crunching Boink with a staking balance. So if there's been a Boink cruncher who's been crunching Boink for 15 years, then um, now you can solo crunch and distribute the network even more. That would be great, but we can't force them to do that. So the, 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 original, the original question posed is essentially another variation of going back and having uh, securing the blockchain depend upon uh, your, your Boink research, right? And we, you can't do it. Mm -hmm. So you can't condition staking upon the presence or lack thereof of Boink research. Yeah, it's That's just another version of, of what we went away from, which was a gigantic security problem in 2016. I wrote a, I wrote a piece on this and read it uh, probably over a year ago. And Cy rewrote 
or, or wrote a, another version of it, which is very well written in the same thing. The bottom line is cryptographic proofs have to be self-contained in a blockchain. They cannot refer to information on the exterior of the blockchain that cannot be proven on each individual node. And you can't prove uh, Boink research in a way that allows you absolute uh, consensus, right? Just can't be done. So, you you know, that was the original mis misconception around the way Gridcoin was originally coded was this notion that you could somehow uh, merge in your magnitude or your, your Boink uh, uh, crunching information and then construct a cryptographic proof that would be verifiable by other nodes on the network. And that was a fallacy. So that, that had to be removed. What we do, though, is we do um, tie in the second layer into the staking in, in such a way that that second layer is verifiable on every node, at least in, the, in, in that it's enmeshed into the staking process. So while the staking doesn't depend upon the second layer, the second layer depends upon the staking. Once those blocks are locked into place, every node can confirm that, that, uh, that the accrual calculations for the research rewards were done correctly within the sense that the, of the provided statistics, which are generated by the multiple oracles we have. And so that's quite frankly, it's the, it's, it's the best solution we can do given that we're, we're basing rewards on effectively the export of third party. Right. And it's, it's doing that is the secure way to do it because if, yep. if Boink, if a Boink project gets, um, it, it's found out that there's a security flaw in the Boink project, someone's getting a bunch of fake credits. Um, we remove that Boink project, the blockchain continues, and you still get rewarded for every other Boink project. So it, it works well. And our magnitude distribution actually um, sort of enforces Mitigate, that. It mitigates any any uh, significant uh, change. That yep. would be it, it's all actually a very elegant system put together. Um, and, and we'll talk a little bit more about this a little later. But for the, for the sake of this post, it's yes, we all agree that we want to reward crunching. The the simple truth is we cannot, as Jim was saying, tie crunching in with staking. Um, and if we want to fix the economics of the coin and make more stakers, more solo stakers, so those 10 GRC blocks are spread out among more people, um, we're going to have to, A, either wait until uh, some of the technological developments from coins like Cardano are really proven secure and then implement those, or B, think of new economics that rewards crunchers even more, uh, which might be a challenge to pass because we need secured blockchain uh, as a reality in order to function as a any reward for crunching. Jay Ringo, you know my position is that re in reality, coming up with additional economic flows, which are really layer three, mm -hmm. to to provide additional crunching incentives, which effectively are forms of rain, right? So the ability for people to rain additional money that's not necessarily generated coins on crunchers is probably a better path to scalability than to try and, you know, generate more coins out of thin air to pay more to more people, right? I mean, at the end of the day, there's a limit to how many coins we can generate without raising the specter of, of uh, uh, raising the money supply too fast, right? So I think, you know, we're always going to be limited in terms of layer two incentive paid directly out to people in the sense that, you know, I, I, quite frankly, our coin and people really use the term inflation rate wrongly. This is not really inflation. It's really growth in the money supply. I'd rather use that term for it. But 
you know, there's, I, I, I've seen various different comments from people about with misconceptions around our, our, our money supply growth. The fact of the matter is Gridcoin's uh, money supply growth rate is very moderate compared to a lot of other coins. Mm-hmm. And, and quite frankly, I want to keep it that way. I, I'm not really interested in going to a hyper growth approach to try and support, you know, handing, you know, more and more G- GRC out to a larger group of people. And so we do have a scalability problem from a monetary perspective on as more and more crunchers join the network, you know, the, the rewards paid to each one of them is going to diminish. But it also, it will also incentivize people to, to buy GRC too, so they can sell a stake. But if we develop MRC, it's different, but also, so the, the big issue here, Jim, I think I agree with most of what you're saying, but the issue that the reason a lot of people bring up this issue is because of the wealth distribution, because Absolutely. it's so screwed up uh, that it's just so easy to see how many coins are held by like five, six people that it's, or maybe even one person with five or six accounts. So it's, it's, that's the problem. Like we want to rebalance that, the coins minted in that first year, let's put it that way. The problem is the number of coins minted in the first year so vastly outmeasures the number of coins that will be minted since then until for the next like 30 years. So that's a huge problem that needs to get dealt with or not, but that's why people bring it up. Uh, as for NC, and that's not a discussion for today because we, we're not going to solve it today. Um, no. But NC asks a question. I would love your input on this. I have my own thoughts here. But he says, if this is on layer two, why is there a need for separate blockchain or cryptocurrency? Can't you do the same thing on Ethereum or Polkadot with Oracles and just have a token? Well, so I got a couple of comments about it. Number one, Oracles that are implemented within the within Ethereum framework are single point of failure Oracles, right? Uh, we've actually done a Oracle system, which essentially makes the Oracles transparent, right? Remember, we have multiple Oracles, multiple scrapers that operate, and each node makes its own decision about how to trust that data. So the scrapers are what I call trustless entities and that no individual scrapers trusted. I've yet to see an Ethereum implementation that matches that. For us. And so what happens with a typical Oracle setup is you're, is you're depending upon a choke point that where you have to trust that Oracle's uh, importation of third-party information. And then the question is, what entity controls the Oracle? And by the way, that same issue applies to one of these others that we were about to talk about, which is if we do a, a ERC-20 wrapping of Gridcoin to try and put it on Ethereum, you're, you're dealing with exactly that same choke point, right? You, you, you've got to have a, essentially a transfer point that's a very centralized transfer point that you have to trust. Right. That's not a great thing. I also really am very proud of the fact that we are writing on our own blockchain and that we don't depend upon somebody else's rails. So I I think there's um, it might be harder in the short term, but I think it's better in the long term that we that we have our own complete cryptocurrency. And we're not just contracts sitting on some other some other rails. That's that's what I would that's part I would highlight is the contract aspect. If we develop a grid coin contract, that's it. That's the Gridcoin contract. It cannot be changed. It cannot be built upon easily. You'd have to develop a new contract with a new token. And I don't know how that would work exactly. But with our own blockchain, blockchain, we can, yes, layer two, if we just stop at layer two, maybe a token would make sense, except for all the stuff Jim said, his, his first and second points. But if we develop additional layers to that, that's going to be difficult just to implement into a, a contract on another chain. So if we want to do magnitude boosting, it's easier to do if we have our own blockchain. If we want to do accreditation, it's, it's easier to do on our own blockchain. If we want to do publishing and publishing rewards, it's easier to do on our own blockchain because we just get we have more control. Like Jim said, we're not running on someone else's rails. Um, Sai Sai says fees. Oh, yeah. The gas fees on Ethereum can be ridiculous. 
That's true. And that's, that's what you're talking about. Yeah, that's yeah. that's a good point too. There really isn't a, a, a um, contract platform that has proven to work yet. Uh, Ethereum is great. It, it, it's showing that these things will work. It just needs to get ironed out the details. Uh, Polkadot is brand new, really, so we don't know if that's going to work. Um, so who knows how it's going to work in the future? The parachain idea, the side chains. I think that is a distinct possibility in the future. But again, these things are all very new. Uh, have to be proven to work. So I think one more comment on this. I think where SciSci and I would rather go is some form of atomic swap capability, which I think is is uh, probably more likely um, to a close, you know, a more closely related type of coin. And that's obviously there's a long way to go before we do that. But that that seems to me to be a more palatable option. What a uh, wonderful segue. So our next uh, topic is just simply titled "Wrap It." which is a wonderful title. Thank you. Uh, basically saying, uh, has anyone considered, excuse me, wrapping uh, Gridcoin on a uh, DeFi chain, essentially? So uh, for those who don't know what wrapping is, very simply, for each, you make a another token on another chain, and it, you make a ratio of the number of that, to, so like one-to-one -one ratio of one of that token wrapped Gridcoin to Gridcoin. And that means you can trade wrapped Gridcoin on that other chain where maybe there's more liquidity, there's more visibility, there's a, um, there's a, a thicker market, let's say, a, a more mature market. Uh, so it gives you exposure to your coin, gives other people exposure to your coin. Uh, and then you can trade those wrapped coins back for grid coin at whatever the ratio is. So in this example, it's one to one. Um, I like the idea, I think it's great. Uh, Sai points out some issues, largely being regulatory and also practical, like the, um the 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 middleman essentially you you have a middleman in this process where you have to trust this middleman to not run away with your coins and i brought up bitshares because i didn't fully know the history yep. i guess and we did have a wrapped coin on bitshares back in 2015 and 16 and 17 i think and then after the bubble popped a lot of people were using the gateway uh, I don't remember what it was called, but they were using this this middleman to exchange wrapped Gridcoin for Gridcoin. And so you give your Gridcoin to the middleman who then generates wrapped Gridcoin. And then you give your wrapped Gridcoin back to the middleman who then gives you your Gridcoin back. Uh, that middleman just disappeared with everyone's money. So <laughs> that, that's the threat. That's the risk you have with uh, wrapped coins. Uh, and Sai points out that you can do it you just have to be a very popular coin because you're going to have to use um, tools. I forget the word he uses, but essentially institutional level tools that um, guarantee that this person is not going to run away with your money. And you can't just use some random um, Rudex. I don't remember. Random middleman. Uh, but Sai does bring up what I think Jim was just talking about. Uh, he calls it swapping. And I think it has to do with atomic swaps. Uh, and and he's, he mentions that this technology is new and it's just being, it was open ledger. Thank you, Gregor. Um, but yeah, th this technology having to do with swapping is new and it's being developed by bigger people, Bitcoin and Litecoin. So we have to wait to see if it works. And then once that plays out, just like maybe pooled staking, we can integrate it with Gridcoin. Um, these posts in general highlight how new of a space this technology is. Uh, this whole industry is. There's a lot of problems with it. We all know them. Uh, if you're new, you're going to identify them really quickly. Uh, but understand that it's just like the internet in the 70s and the 80s. It's not going to work until you know the millennium. Uh, 
but we're still having a lot of fun developing it because it's open source economics uh, in software. So that said, I don't think uh, at least Cy or Jim are going to wrap the coin at any point. I mean, if there's an institution out there that wants to wrap it for us and guarantee liquidity across the two chains, yeah, yeah, come on in. <laughs> I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. Um, any other thoughts on that? Okay, this last one is the Psydoc at home. Oh, this should have been in the news, my bad. The Psydoc at home poll discussion thread. Guys, there is a poll for another whitelisted project. It is Psydoc at home, which is doing, um, oh, I should know so much about this. Delta just did a project brief on it. Uh, a protein folding, I'm pretty sure. They were doing some COVID work units and I think they're expanding outside of COVID. Um, the poll seems legitimate. It's running for 21 days. Uh, and it started just a couple days ago, so plenty of time to uh, vote. Um, I don't have any opinions on it yet. I haven't done my research. Um, if anyone else has opinions right now, you're welcome to share them. Uh, otherwise, keep an eye on the discussion, guys, and don't forget to vote. Uh, and I will highlight that there is an invalid. So there are two Psydoc polls. One of them was made by someone who did not follow the protocol, and it's just a stupid poll. Shame on this person, whoever made this one. Uh, that invalid poll is called quote Psydoc at home the valid poll the one you should white or the one you should vote on is a going to be the one with the more uh vote weight behind it and we're going to talk about that in a second and b is called quote whitelist Psydoc at home so make sure you're voting on the right project and to hit that vote weight concept really quick everyone there, there's a discussion in the community, and there's, it's been here for a long time, about how do we get important polls to show up, to pop up in front of, front of people's eyes so they can just open the wallet and see what's going on. This is a perfect example of what I've been advocating for for so long. If it's a valid poll, the people who are involved in the community are going to vote on it. And if it's an invalid poll, they won't vote on it. And the people who are involved in the community and have been for a long time have a good amount of GRC and magnitude. So when they vote on it, the vote weight will go up. And at that point, it should be more visible. There should be a threshold where once a, once a certain percentage of vote weight is hit or a certain amount of vote weight is hit, it becomes hyper visible in the wallet. Uh, because once that threshold is hit, it is with good reliability, a good poll, a valid poll, because a lot of people have voted on it. Uh, and a lot of people with a lot of GRC and magnitude who have been around the community and pay attention to these things so that someone who is not paying attention to these things can open up their wallet. And if that threshold is hit, they can just assume it's a valid poll, they should pay attention. And if it's not hit and they see a poll that hasn't hit that threshold, they can just ignore it, right? So that is one way to filter out garbage polls from real polls, just vote weight. Uh, Gregor points out that Psydoc at Home is a general discovery drug discovery project. Thank you. Uh, the target is still on Corona, but they hope they will continue uh, and not shut down. I will also highlight that their admin is on the Boink Network Discord. She's responsive to uh, questions and inquiries and, and a lot of stuff. So they also, I think, are involved in another project. Uh, this one particular person, I forget what her name is, but her, her handle is SH. Any other thoughts on Psydoc at home? Okay. Jeff Goldblum mentions uh, he'd like to see... Uh, if they don't actually shut down before pushing resources to whitelist them, that's just him. That's a good point. I mean, if they are, I think they've asked for a two month delay anyway, right? So, so uh, if I'm remembering, so they don't want to be whitelisted. Where so, can we see this discussion? Uh, I think that's in the GitHub issue. Is it? Oh, yeah. 
I've looked at so many things this week. I've <laughs> but I know I saw that they they've asked for a two months. Maybe this is on their forums. But they they what I saw was their core team has approved the uh, it is the white. But it, they they're asking for a two month delay to make sure they're ready. Yeah, it's so, from uh, CRT one two three on GitHub. They say I'm pleased to announce that the core group of the Sidak at Home project approved Gridcoin idea, but we need some time to prepare servers and also set up checkpoints. Uh, which is already an important task on the priority list. Uh, they estimate that they will be ready to launch Gridcoin in two months. What are the next steps? That's. I think that answers uh, Jeff Goldblum's question. Look, if they actually implement checkpointing, which is really required to make sure that you know they can catch cheaters and the like, and and uh, and and do the infrastructure work to support our network, then I would say they're serious about moving forward. If they don't, then it'll just naturally die a death, right? So it's all going to work out. So how would this poll go then? Do you, do you think it should be a no now, and then once all this stuff's implemented, no, re-poll it? I don't have any problem with this. So I said this in the GitHub issue. I don't have any issue with these steps, quote-unquote, being out of order. I don't have any problem with the poll, with people voting unconditionally, meaning that, voting yes we approve and the way i take that is we're approving it as long as it meets all the other conditions for whitelisting and so the issue you know my everyone knows that some of the minimum conditions for whitelisting is that the project needs to needs to have assurances of proper protection against cheating it needs to have the ability to handle the gridcoin network correctly so the issue is if they don't follow through or they withdraw their readiness their their permission to go whitelisting, then the, then the poll doesn't mean anything. If on the other hand they do, and the poll's pre-approved, I would say we have the ability to move forward. I don't think we need to to poll again. I'm so I hear you, and I think I could be convinced to agree with you. But my instinct is to say we have to poll again for two reasons. One, the person who made this didn't follow the instructions that can be put in code. So if this was an automated process, it would not follow through. And if they had followed the process. They would have said, hey, we want to whitelist you. Can we make a poll for you? And they would have said, give us two months and then come back. And then none of Well, you know, the same person that created this poll is the person that created the other invalid mm. poll, right? Yeah. And he has, this person has a habit of flouting the rules. But I, you know, my view on this is we're human. We're not computers. We're human beings when you have the ability to evaluate it. So if I agree with you, if, if, if this was a protocol based thing, it would have to go in order because otherwise it wouldn't work, right? But we can do out of order things as human beings. Uh, I'm not happy that, with the fact that this this one person continues to basically, you know, flout the rules, knowing it's it's almost like he's trying to press the limits on things, right? But on the other hand, I also like that I I like this project. I mean, if you in a, in a lot of other people like it too, so I think we have to be careful that we don't allow excessive rigidity to get in the way of what is the right answer. And and, and the, to me. The right answer is if this pro if the project admin administrators want to move forward and the project does good good work and you know has reasonable protections against cheating so on and so forth and the community approves it as a poll and knows those are all and conditions I would say we're okay uh, I, I do I I do not like this notion that people are trying to flout the rules on whitelisting yeah and and, and it bothers me I mean it's not like those rules aren't published we have we have published the rules. And by the way, the person that does this has read the rules. Right. So okay. the, the way to make them stop, though, is not let them succeed with this. If they didn't follow the process, which is a insanely simple process of just ask the project first, and then we end up having to bend over backwards to make their um, rejection of the process work because we like the project. And I, I think I agree I like the project, but I can't let my bias 
um, affect a decision like this. Like, I, I don't know. The more I think about it, the more I think we got to repull it. But I'm going to keep an open mind for at least a week, let the discussion play out. Well, I, I think we I think we should probably get the whitelisting committee to, to this is, opine on this. This is a great, you know, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm not, look, this is, a, we have to, we have to, as a community, come to a consensus about what we're going to do with out of order type situations like this. Well, if uh, we, if we say you're allowed to do it out of order, people are going to continue to do it out of order. But if we just say the simple thing of this poll is invalid, or I'm going to vote no, because it, they did it wrong, just do it again, as soon as they have all the prerequisites, like they started the poll when they didn't have checkpoints. We don't know if they're ever going to implement checkpoints. And yes, I agree with you. We could approve the poll and then just have our whitelist admin not add it until the checkpoints are, are met. But if we approve the poll, we're saying we can add it. That admin has permission to add it whenever they want by the network. Uh, and that admin, if let's say you get possessed by a demon tomorrow, you could just <laughs> add it and then hack the project and then get right, it all automated. Of course you wouldn't. Yeah. But like that's the 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 um you used a good a word a Latin word for this example like the worst case scenario. Uh, so it's like why not just say this thing isn't valid because first of all the basic technical requirements for a whitelisted project aren't implemented in the project yet. So let's wait until they actually implement them. If they say they're they're on board with Gridcoin, which is great. So once they implement the basic technical requirements, we can start a poll. This person clearly they don't whoever it is shouldn't be doing this shit. Uh, and in the future, if they want to do it, they're going to ask the project first instead of just assume that they can start a poll and then we'll do it out of order for them. Well, I agree with that. And I'm not naming the person because I don't want to. I don't want to get into name calling on this on this network. But I will just point. And by the way, it's very easy. You can just look in the in the chat history and see who it is. But this person has done this before, and they've done exactly the same situations with other projects that they've tried to get whitelisted before, with exactly the same scenario where they jump the gun and they put the poll up. And in fact, the polls that they put up before were not even properly formed. So forget the rest of the procedure. They didn't even put the correct yes, no abstain uh, requirements. And the time, and the time, uh, the time for the polls, which I have to look up every time. I can't remember. But they didn't even bother to look up what the duration of the poll was supposed to be. Right. And so they made the, the one of the reasons we've got that other poll sitting out there, which is invalid, is it was made for way too long. Right. It's so annoying. <laughs> idiotic. Right. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, look, guys, I hate to sound irritated, but this is so simple. It's like it's like kindergarten. Just follow the freaking rules. <laughs> the rules are not that difficult. And by the way, they are written down and they are community approved rules. And I really get so tired of people complaining about, well, I, just follow the rules. You know, and, 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 you know, we're not at a point where we can turn all this into a computer program that can execute this automatically. And yes, that's what everyone wants to do eventually. But it's very sad that we as a community, as human beings, can't do this the right way on, you know, without having a computer do it for us, right? I mean, we ought to it be is. able to execute a whitelisting process, right? In terms of right. it is only one. Yeah. I'm saying, like, I think the rest of us, you know, I think overall I'm pretty happy behaving. We've had very few problems with, like, crazy polls and things like that. Overall. Yeah, and it's usually the same person over and over again. It's very annoying. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I know, I don't want to get straight off onto that subject, I know... We have a basic issue with that. One of the biggest issues we have is corner case situations, like someone puts up a terrible poll, maybe it has bad language in it or something. You know, what do we do? That is an issue. And, and it is a big issue in the sense that I, I do not want to provide a centralized authority to be able to delete polls. That is a bad thing. Well, that completely flies against the whole notion about having a distributed polling system, right? 
So we have to think very carefully about how we're going to deal with these situations of polls being put in there that are not good. This, what does not good mean and who has the authority to deal with them? This right? is what I'm saying. My, my suggestion before applies here as well. If you have a, a structure in place where the, if a lot of people, a lot of vote weight votes on a poll, yeah, then it becomes a valid poll after it hits a yeah, threshold. It's the, grid, it's the grid coin way of rep, right? Like on, on, on Reddit, if you get downvoted and you go negative, your, your, your thing actually gets suppressed. So this is actually a version of that where if you don't get above a certain threshold, you don't, it doesn't even show up by default. Right, right, or it gets regulated, relegated down to like some some dredges somewhere. But there, the, it, the it's problem, more common. The problem you have with that is the bootstrapping problem, right? And t until the first person votes on it, that gets it over the hump, it won't show up. And so you have to have knowledgeable people that actually vote on it that know it's there to get it over the hump in the first place. Right, so it would so be that, up to the people who are active in the community. So most people here who all have high balances or and um, high magnitude combined, we would be able to, we would, the math would have to be structured in such a way that us essentially would be able to push a poll into validation and a, a lot of other people too. But the it, it's more complicated than a simple, um, reputation system because we're working with blockchain economics. And this sort of ties into um, what I wanted to talk about with the implications, sort of following along with last week, which I don't think we'll be able to get to everything, but I'll highlight this right here. We're dealing with real money, right? Something of real value that you can go and buy bread with. Um, so when we validate polls, if we had this structure that I'm proposing implemented, uh, it, when a poll was validated, that would um, influence the value of Gridcoin. So if it if the the people with a lot of stake in the network are the ones validating polls, they are actually through this structure incentivized to make the best decisions for their own holdings. They're going to do what makes the most sense that will make their Gridcoin worth the most money. They will choose things that the community will approve. This is what whales do, actually. They'll choose things that the community will approve, and they'll choose things that aren't garbage. So they won't whitelist a uh, a poll that tr tries to hack accounts somewhere because that would make their grid coin useless, valueless. So if it's a reputation system where reputation is money, and you can um, you, the people are incentivized to act in the best interest of the entire network because what's in the best interest of the entire network is actually in the best interest of themselves. It's similar to the concept of why people generally um, they try to hack Bitcoin, but they're not really doing it to get rich they're doing it for different reasons because if you hack a bitcoin you prove that the concept is flawed and no one's going to want to buy bitcoin because it's flawed it's not worth as it's not money anymore right so it's it's interesting we could build a validation system that requires no centralization uh and this also ties into every other structure that we might want to build in the future which has to do with accreditation publishing peer review um science funding all this stuff it's all built on the premise that someone if stake uh which in gridcoin is represented by grc and magnitude is the tool that's used to vote instead of an, an identity then the person with that stake is going to act in the best interest of the network so maybe there's a solution to what you're suggesting jim and the bootstrap yeah. would just be the community who already has a lot of stake in the network i think this deserves discussion and i you know i'd like to quite frankly, given that well, most many of the most important polls are whitelisting polls anyway, right? It probably should be addressed, thought through with the whitelisting committee. And then, you know, we, we should look at it from a technical perspective to some of this is actually not that difficult to implement code wise. It, just like anything else, some things are hard and some things are easy, right? It just depends. Yeah. So I think 
you know, the idea about suppressing and sorting poles by um, the boat weight that's been accumulated is not terrible, I don't think. Yeah, I'll, uh, uh, we'll, we'll bring it up for a larger discussion. And I, this is one of the things I have on my list of turn these into proposals, damn it. So I'll, I'll try to write yeah. something longer about it so we can have a, a more formal discussion on it. Yeah, one, one last thing on Boysonic's uh, thing is that's a really interesting idea, but it has a very bad downside. And that is that if you present an invalid choice alongside, say, yes, no, and abstain, number one, some in, some invalidities are simply a rules-based thing, and it's not subject to a popularity contest, right? In other words, it's really not, if something wasn't validly proposed, the community had already voted on what is valid or invalid. And so it's really not up to a further vote as to whether something is valid or invalid. So it's an artifice to offer an option where someone can either vote invalid or not, because that's already been decided in many instances. So I think I think you have to be careful with that kind of categorization, because you're putting up to another vote that, that which in many instances has already been decided. So uh, there are other instances where that, where that might make sense, but I think it's a little bit dangerous yeah, to do that. I would also add that just not voting, this is what AVW and just vote weight validation does in general, not voting is speaking and saying you're, you think the, the, the thing should yep. not be validated. I want to I want to say one more thing to that uh, that other that named individual which has been doing the things with the whitelisting also has made the comment that you know abstain is equivalent to no and that is absolutely not the case and I'm going to remind everybody there's a reason why we require yes no and abstain we have to provide the category for someone to provide essentially a neutral vote but to be counted towards the quorum it is very important to be able to provide the ability for someone to take a neutral position on something uh, where they say, I'm here, but I don't want to vote either way. And that allows us to count them for the purposes of ABW in terms of quorum, but allows us to ba base the approval only on the fraction of those votes that actually voted yes or no. Yep. All right. That's the way it works. Boisonic says, so maybe the ideal would be that a whitelisting poll may need a smart contract tied to the project admin or some such blockchain proof of the prerequisites to create a whitelisting poll. That would be, that would be fine if you want to code it. Go right ahead. <laughs> Right. I think that is the ideal situation. Um, the ideal situation for all of the whitelists is to put it all into code, right? It, that's why we want to build a protocol that, yes, we're implementing as humans, but ultimately all of these steps can be put into code. The grade listing is based on math. The whitelisting is, it, it's going to be a contract if it's ever put into code uh, because there are some like agreements or um, have checkpoints sort of thing. Although maybe you could check checkpoints with math. Uh, I'm not sure. So Yes, I, ideal situation is almost exactly what you described. And yes, the check, the, the, look, a vote, the fee that people are paying on voting is really tiny, right? It's it's a very, it's a fraction of a GRC plus the fee to actually construct the transaction. And, you know, a vote is a transaction on the network. So just like every other transaction, you got to pay your fee to, to use the network. I don't believe there should be people, I don't believe abstention should be exempted from network fees. It would cause a tremendous problem in coding, and we're not going to do yeah, that. Yeah, one thing we can do having to do with fees and voting, though, is uh, stake lock contracts. So, Jim, yep. you've mentioned that these That's might right. be fairly simple to implement. So we need to backport the, uh, SciSci mentioned this the other day or the last week or the week before. Uh, we, uh, we can backport the Bitcoin time-locked script, uh, and that shouldn't be terrible. And that should give us the ability to do time lock coins. So what right? that would mean for people uh, is in order to vote, essentially, 
you're going to have to pay an opportunity cost. So if I have a 100,000 GRC and I want to vote on a poll, I'm going to have to lock a portion of that GRC into a contract for T time. So maybe that yep. time is a whole year. So if I'm going to think vote on this poll, I really need to think about it. Think of it like an extended stake, right? You're sort of putting your coins out there and you're not going to be able to use them for that entire time, right? Yep. So, so the stake is very, everyone remembers a stake is very limited in duration, right? The coins that go on stake, which is an individual UTXO, are only basically locked away for, well, you can spend them before 16 hours. You can spend them after 110 blocks, but they're not restakeable for 16 hours. That's a really short duration of time, if you think about it. Yeah. This, what Jay Ringo is talking about is a much longer duration of time. Yeah. Right? And, and- it could be for the length of the poll. It could be for double the length of the yeah. poll. It could be for 20 years. Like we'd have to work out the details, but the concept is, well, it's a larger concept too. So I'll, I'll, I'll make this generalized. Anyone who's coming into this space, into Gridcoin, um, and wants to help think out how these processes, how these protocols might work out, there are two tools you can use really to play with how people work in this space so to, to incentivize them to do something or not do something. Economic cost and opportunity cost. Economic cost is simple. I have to pay $5 to ride the roller coaster. Uh, An opportunity cost is a little more complex, but it's still fairly simple. I have to give up 10 minutes or, or I have to lock my $5 up. I get it back at the end of the day, but when it's locked up, I can't, I don't have access to it. So if I want to do something with those $5 and it's locked up, too bad, I've lost that opportunity. So if you can develop protocols around those two principles, you can play with people, right? You can develop some interesting theories. Um, so for example, another way we might use time lock contracts is with magnitude boosting. Boosting. So if we want to say that we're going to let projects boost their magnitude so that they um, reward more for people, reward more to people who crunch their project, we can say, okay, they have to lock up 500,000 GRC for a year. And during that year, they'll have boosted magnitude. Afterwards, once that contract expires, they can relock it or they get it back. And uh, if they get it back, the magnitude drops back to baseline. We could also say that anyone can put GRC behind that project uh, and lock it up. So that way, if a thousand people Let's say the threshold is 100,000 GRC to get magnitude boosted. We could have 100,000 people lock one GRC up behind a project, and at that point, it would get magnitude boost. So there's there's a lot of interesting things we can do with time lock contracts in terms of um, having people pay opportunity costs. And the way that helps the entire network is when GRC is locked up, you're I don't know the technical terms for it, but in my mind, you're technically taking that GRC out of circulation for a period of time. Uh, there's a lot of, you're vesting it, I think. So there's a lot of um, companies that actually do this with stock. If you get hired by Google, they're going to pay you, they're going to give you a stock signing bonus or something, but you're not going to be able to sell that stock for five years. And then after five years, you can only sell 20% of it. And then you get a certain amount of it released after every year, right? That's a, a way to control market flow. And it's a really powerful tool when it comes down to controlling the currency. Jay Ringo, can I answer two questions from NC here? So, yeah. so one, he asked, why can't abstain be? A, there's no such thing as an implicit abstention. That's just not voting. In other words, if you don't if you don't provide a category to provide for someone to abstain, you have no idea whether they actually wanted to vote or not, and you can't count it towards the quorum. You can't have implicit abstentions. It doesn't make any sense. Second thing, 
what is the opportunity cost for those who run oracles? It's an interesting question. So right now, oracles are the oracle operators, which were longstanding uh, emerges of the community that are independent from each other, uh, are paid only the base fee to essentially, they, you can see their invoices in compensation. They're basically paid for the amount of money that it costs to run the oracle itself. They're not paid extra to run the oracle. They're also not penalized if the oracle provides invalid information. Instead, what happens is, to remind everybody about how this works, the each node receives the statistics from the in, on mainnet at six oracles right now, six scrapers. Each node receives the, the statistics from six scrapers. Uh, there's a function that's basically the ceiling of of sixty percent of the number of scrapers uh, with a minimum of two. If you work the math out, that means four for six scrapers, it's four out of six scrapers must agree, their statistics must agree down to the hash, must agree exactly for a node to, to come to convergence. So a node doesn't trust any individual scraper. And in fact, what happens is if a scraper uh, starts to misbehave, it's gonna be, it's gonna effectively get banned out of the network. So, you know, we have pretty harsh penalties in the sense that, you know, scrapers that provide errant information or, or, or misbehavior are going to, number one, they're not going to be included in the statistics that are provided by, or, or agreed upon by the nodes. And secondly, if they misbehave even further, or for example, an unauthorized scraper tries to publish statistics on the network, that, that un, uh, unauthorized node is going to be very quickly banned. Right. So that's that's how we deal with There's that. Larger, There's larger implications here as well. So the They'll also lose their friends. Like we all know who the scrapers are, <laughs> so nice. they don't want to screw that up. But the the scraper system can be built. It it, it was implemented this way because it's the easiest way to do it, and we just wanted to get it done. The uh, there's no. By the way, well, hold on a minute. Who has the, the the network itself bans the oracle? And the, and yes, that's the one last centralized component that we have for oracles, which is the authorization of an oracle. That is currently just like whitelisting. It has to be administrated. Eventually, I'd like to get rid of that. But we'll have to talk. And about here's it. how that might work. So the the first of all, the the um, scrapers, the oracles get paid out of the foundation. They're not getting paid out of the protocol. There's no actual protocol layer incentive to to be a scraper. So first of all, we could build that in uh, and make a marketplace of oracles where people compete to become oracles because when you're an oracle, you get paid by the protocol. That would be pretty neat. And the way you become an oracle is you stake GRC in a time lock contract. And when you do that, what you're saying is I have so much stake in this network that I'm very unlikely to harm my own investment. So I, I can be almost trusted as one part of this subnetwork within the network. Uh, so trust me to do this. Uh, you're not putting central authority on me. You're not putting central trust in me. You're putting, you're, you're giving me one of, let's say, 100 scrapers. You're giving me part of that. And let's say we, we mint 10,000 GRC for 100 scrapers. They each get a portion, an even portion of that to fulfill the role that they've been assigned to. So that is one of the layers you can build with a pretty, with blockchain, right? You can, you can build all these incentive layers, mesh them together build sub-networks within the greater network where if the sub-network fails, this is going back to one of the original Reddit questions, if the sub-network fails, you still have that base network. You still have a blockchain from which you can rebuild. 
uh, and you can actually probably have um, sort of defense mechanisms where if the subnetwork fails, uh, some other things take over to make sure the, the system keeps running while a patch is put in place. Uh, but ultimately, we can, we can and probably should incentivize scrapers at a base level so that when the foundation funds disappear, they're still getting paid. And also uh, open it up so that anyone can become a scraper. All they need to do is deposit a million GRC into a time lock contract. When they're not a scraper anymore, they'll get that back after five years of not being a scraper or something like that. So what that will do is actually, in an ideal scenario, in in um, my dreamland, you know, like Oxford would want to be a scraper. They will, as an institution, compete with. NSF, who wants to be a scraper, who wants to aggregate data and put it on the Gridcoin blockchain because it's a value to them. Uh, they want to keep the system going because they use it. So we need to to get to that level. We need to develop the the scraper layer, and we also need to develop utility for them, a reason they would want to use the coin, right? So great questions. Uh, keep asking them. The scrapers are very interesting. Uh, it was a wonderful development that Jim put together. Well, I think I, you know, obviously we have a lot, we have improvements we can make that you were just talking about. But I, I'm not so sure there is any other blockchain that actually does came up with the solution we came up with, which actually allows us to not treat scrapers as as trusted entities, right? Essentially, they're not trusted. Mm -hmm. They are trusted in the in the aggregate if they agree to a certain standard. And every other, Jay Ringo, correct me if I'm wrong, but every other Oracle implementation implementation I've seen, you end up having to trust the Oracle, they're, right? They're central bridges. Um, I think they'll be decentralized eventually, but like they're highly centralized I think right the, now. I think we're the first one, we're the first uh, blockchain that actually did it, that actually decentralized the Oracles to a degree. So, um, you know, it's pretty interesting. And I think there's, I think there's definitely more we can do with it as you were talking yeah. about. So. And that adds, so one of the, the core principles, not principles, one of the core Aspects, insert word here, of Gridcoin is the participants within the network. And we have two currently, and essentially a third, but the third needs to be fully automated. We have stakers, we have crunchers, and the third would be oracles. And the fourth would be uh, voters, people who have locked GRC into a contract because they voted on a poll. The fifth would be peer reviewers, people who have locked GRC into a contract because they're peer reviewing something. Uh, the sixth, see, we can continue to go on. The sixth would be accreditors, uh, the people who have locked GRC into a contract or, or some other way. I'm just highlighting time like contracts because we can use them for what's immediately necessary. Uh, but they've, they've locked stake into the network to uh, deem someone a, a professional or an expert in uh, geology. They, we have people who are our funders. They've locked GRC into a contract to uh, indicate that they have, they're, they're going to approve good science because if they don't approve good science, then that GRC that they've locked into the network is going to be worth zero. So they are actually incentivized to approve to do due diligence and not just approve garbage, right? So there's a lot of really interesting stuff with just a couple simple tools that they're not really simple, but a couple tools that were developed out of this new technology that was made open source in 2008. Uh, that's really just opens the world, opens the world of science up to decentralization and uh, inclusion. That's another big part. And we'll talk more about the implications of Gridcoin next week. But a really big thing I want to highlight here, uh, just to get people thinking for next week, maybe 
is um, the, the the inclusion aspect. So when all of these people have stake in the Gridcoin network, in the, the which project is whitelisted, which projects not whitelisted, which uh, science initiative is funded, which is not funded, they're going to end up educating themselves to the science. So just using the whitelist, something that already exists as an example, I don't know much about PsyDoc, but I want to make sure that PsyDoc is going to bring value to the network and not take value away. So I'm going to go out and educate myself about PsyDoc. At the same level, PsyDoc sees how much computation power Gridcoin has. They want to be part of the whitelist. They are going to go out and actively try to educate us on the value of their science. So me, not a scientist, admittedly a science nerd, but uh, not a scientist is going to learn about the scientific process. And if this and the specifics about the science, I'm going to feel like I'm part of it versus an institution is doing research over in Kentucky and I should just trust them because fuck it, man, they're experts. So if I'm included in the process, all of a sudden I'm going to believe the science a little more. If I'm included in the process that develops the COVID vaccine, I might believe that the COVID vaccine is actually worthwhile. It's actually a thing. It's not a microchip. I understand how the biology works at a very base level, but I understand a little bit about it. Uh, that's a pretty high, high, that's important to society, right? You need to have people involved in the process. They need to be stakeholders. The, and if this succeeds, then it won't just be science nerds. It won't just be tech nerds learning about the science. It'll be everyone because we will have real money incentivizing people to participate in this system. And money makes people do things. You can like it. You cannot like it. It's reality. If you get paid for something, you'll do it. Everyone has a price, right? It's, it's part of our, our uh, lexicon, I suppose. The So we'll have people who just want to make money, have no interest in science, learning about science because they can make money. I think in my mind, that sounds like a great uh, economy based on science that would hopefully get rid of flat earthers <laughs> and anti-vaxxers. So it, it is not just getting rid of them because they're stupid. They believe this this nonsense because they have no reason not to they just are not they're so excluded from the institutions of science that it almost makes sense to just reject the institutions of science outright and say the exact opposite of everything those institutions say it's so easy to empathize with these people who are just completely excluded so if we build a system that includes them maybe we we save the world a that said, any any thoughts on my rambles or anything else that's been brought up today? Jim points out that there is a technical paper on scraper uh, operations. Uh, yeah, one I wrote when I first wrote the scrapers a while back. Probably needs to be updated a little bit, but it was very, very arcane and technical. <laughs> Not It needs to be rewritten for a white paper. But, I mean, it's a good point. We, we, we have a lot of innovative things, I think, that we don't always, um, you know, we spend all the time writing and it just, you know, it's it's not as publicized as maybe some of these other crazy coins that get out there and talk about vaporware. <laughs> so, to that point, uh, whoever keeps bringing up getting Elon Musk to tweet about Gridcoin, go for it. That would be. You know, why don't you get him involved? I'll be I'll be fine with that. <laughs> <laughs> that would be one of the funniest things that's ever happened to Gridcoin, and also very very great, very effective. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Have a feeling our, our our network would change quite a bit if he got involved. Get <laughs> It's a great, you know, but it's, I'm not holding my breath. <laughs> right. To, to bring it to a more practical level and to, to wrap it up here, that sort of initiative, though, is what needs to get done. Maybe it's not Elon Musk. Maybe it's like your college professor. 
maybe it's your your friend who's starting who's really good at starting businesses tell them about this new software that is doing some interesting stuff see if they can't come up with a business plan where they can make money by utilizing gridcoin um get uh, friends and family uh, uh anyone really tell them about it get them involved and also tweet at musk why not <laughs> uh, so uh smo we will not have those words today but we will at some point uh discuss in the whitelisting committee channel he says uh could we have some words on what to do with colats and that is they won't be only a few words so we'll save uh. that for another day uh so that said guys are there any other thoughts here i see some folks chat or typing we'll let it go in I tried, man. I did. Jeff Goldblum says maybe it's Jeff Goldblum. I actually did like try to get Jeff Goldblum involved as best best I could, but he doesn't have social media, man. So that fell through. <laughs> I think Jeff Goldblum would be a great spokesperson. Yep. Uh, would there be an idea how to have an email transferable grid coin? I think that's dependent on some infrastructure that some other people will develop first. And see, are you actually type? There we go. Oh boy. Let me take a sip of water here. I'm providing a link to the original scraper document that needs to be updated. But... Nice. All right, so NC is asking, what if there is a whitelisted project that's run by an institution that has the computation power to uh, crunch its own work? So it gets on the whitelist, crunches its own work, and takes all the GRC for crunching its own work. Uh, first of all, uh, Jim brought this up when we were figuring out what the question was. <laughs> Each project currently gets an even share of the magnitude, and so in, in turn, they get an even share of the GRC distributed by the protocol. So they would only be um, milkshaking a even distribution of the GRC. Uh, so let's assume we implement a boosting scheme, and they boost their project, and then milkshake all the GRC they possibly can. It still wouldn't be all the minted GRC. Um, but I honestly don't see a problem with it. What would the problem there be? I mean, it, right. I mean, problem, right? I mean, if I, if right, so normally what would happen is suppose they did, right? Uh, if they're getting, they have to effectively getting free, but at the but then you have to factor in the fact that they're using Gridcoin. So we're assuming a giant corporation right now is using Gridcoin. I think that brings a bit of value to the network. It's an interesting question. I mean, you would. I mean, there's an there's an argument to be made there for sure. I mean, like, yeah, but like on the other hand, what uh, this this institution is basically let's just say to me that Bitcoin covers cost about it doesn't right. Then these people are basically just getting they're doing something that they would have to do anyway, but they're getting it free and it's coming at the expense of the network because everyone else is getting coming from generated coins. Look, a lot of the, a lot of these ideas all come back to the same problem, and is the whole Gridcoin economy right now animates from generated coins. That's part of the issue. I hold on. I, I don't think that's in. Yes, they're they're getting GRC, but the remaining GRC that other crunchers are getting. If this entity is big enough to do what you're describing, all of a sudden, if I'm getting ten GRC, this entity comes in. This giant entity uses Gridcoin, and all of a sudden, I'm only getting one GRC for crunching another project. My one GRC is probably now worth what eleven GRC was worth well, before. Well, that's why I wanted to point out right now with the way our magnitude is distributed, where every project gets an equal share. I don't believe that you can meet this criteria. So I don't think under our current, you know, in other words, as much as a project, as big as a project gets, and as much as they as the project administrators crunch for themselves, they can't get more than, right, than Jim, the total right. number of general coins divided by the number of projects. I don't think they're ever gonna it's ever gonna pay off. I think that where, where this comes into where this specter gets raised is if 
we start allowing different partitioning schemes between project magnitude assignments, like we were talking about before, you could probably create scenarios where this might occur, right? If you didn't think carefully. Right. Right. Ringo, I think this comes back to your point that I think it's related to this to the constraint you were talking about, that if we go to a place where we start allowing variable magnitude fractions by project, that there has to be a subject minimum and probably a subject maximum to constrain the uh, the extremums on that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Hold, just to be clear, so, the, so the, the impact would be limited, right? Because the organization could get is one over the number of frac uh, a fraction of Bitcoin that's to one over the number of projects, yes. right? This country. So the yeah. impact is limited, but it's still substantial. No. So right? it, what would happen? So, oh, sorry, finish your so thought. What, yeah. So um, if we're talking about, I don't know how many projects do we have, but let's know approximately. We're talking about that's like around 7%, you know, all the good coins. That's a substantial. If we get on a scale that's really large, that's a lot. That could be worth a lot, right? And it's just taking away from everybody else. And by the way, it's, I think it's antithetical to the, right? I mean, uh, I think, I think in that scenario, there's a couple of, one of them is insists that that kind of organization uh, funds uh, to, or contributes to, to some extent. And then the other thing is that we have to vet the project, make sure that we know whether or I not think that's that a big aspect. The vetting itself, I don't think we can do well. I might agree we would, we need to assist, insist that these institutions would fund grid going, but we can't put that into code. Well, we can vet, uh, have a, a fluid or a, a vibrant discussion about the project during whitelisting and hopefully determine whether or not it's an institution. And then the network decides if that's something they want, the network at large wants to let in, then it's something they let in. But I don't think it would be a problem because they would put so much computation on their one project that it would actually, you would be getting more GRC crunching the other projects, wouldn't you? Because you would be, the, the distribution would be so imbalanced that all of a sudden I'm getting more GRC crunching a project this tiny compared to this big one. No, no. So if you, so if you, so let's say we're, we, we are where we are right now, then this new hypothetical project comes along. Um, what that does is that lowers the amount of Bitcoin that all the other projects get. And if only that company is crunching their own project and everything else stays static, everybody else is getting a... Why? Well, let's Let's just frame it out in the ex most extreme, ridiculous case, right? Let's say we had uh, 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 20, 20 whitelisted projects, right? And then we decided to add a 21st, right? And the 21st, there's only one person crunching on that project, and it's the project administrator themselves, right? Then effectively, you're, you're going to get, it's not quite, but it's basically 1 20th of the, of the entire network generated coins are going to go that, to that one person, and then everyone else's network generated coins is going to be reduced by uh, 20, 20 over 21, right? So because the, remain, the, the remaining GRC gets, gets distributed equally among all the projects that are there. But hold and on. So, yeah. How does the magnitude flow work then? So if, if all of a sudden all the crunchers go to World Community Grid, aren't other people incentivized to go to the the projects that everyone just left because they're going to get more GRC there? Yeah, yes. But the pro what we're talking about is the extreme case where this guy sets up the one project that only he's computing. And okay. so unless, yeah. unless, so he's going to get his, he's going to get all the share of the, of the magnitude for that particular project, unless people go and, and start crunching on it. Right. The, re the realistic scenario is that we're adding a new project everything else stays static and then one organization can't only one organization. I mean, it would have to be someone with a tremendous amount of resources. Basically it would have to be someone that's setting up a project and also has basically a whole data center behind them where they, they can basically create. Because what's going to happen is they're just going to be one of the crowd. 
right? In other words, if it's a, the realistic scenario is if you've got an administrator that's crunching on their own project, and by the way, there are administrators that crunch on their own project. Typically, they have resources that are like mine, where they've got a few hosts, and maybe they could have a magnitude like 100 or 200, but the bottom line is they're going to be just one of many on their own project. Is everyone following me on this? I mean, you'd have to set up basically a cluster to basically generate a uh, computing power to flood everybody else out that wanted to crunch the project. Jim, I should point out that is that's not impossible. I mean, the I, I could easily imagine a bunch of like, let's say Ethereum eventually, and that it looks like it is really actually to be going through the stake, a bunch of uh, come together and they can, they can pull that off if it's a few only project. Yeah. So another, another I, I think this is an... Interrupt, Jim, just real quick. Uh, if there's if if Gridcoin is worth enough and there's an incentive to do it, you know you you bet your butt that it could very well. Happen. But they so it it might be really realistic, but they only get a a fraction of the actual mint to GRC. They bring a lot of attention to the coin itself, which it brings its own value set. And also, hold on, hold on. Also, it it assumes that we don't increase Boink usership at all. Boink. Boink is barely used by universities and institutions, by any computing uh, computational scientists. If we increase the number of computational scientists using Boink, we'll have hundreds of projects on the on the network. And at that point, they're getting a tiny fraction if they make one project that crunches its own work. Okay, so hold on. So a couple of things uh, to respond to that. One, a tiny fraction. First of all, any fraction, again, I think for other reasons I described is inherently a bad, just bad. Uh, but I should also point out that if we were on the scale, like 1% of Ethereum, 1% of uh, Bitcoin, that's a huge amount, right? Of so that's computation not power. That's a lot of science done. No, no. Hold on. Second of all, um, the in terms of there, there's, you're making assumptions there about, you know, more attention coming, more computation. The computational power would only, in this hypothetical scenario that this person is worried about, and it's a legitimate worry. Um, all of that computational power would only be to one project. It would not be getting spread around the other projects. And you're making this assumption that um, uh, uh, the other projects would uh, have more attention. And I, I don't see where that... How I do, that but we don't have time to talk about it. And Toadstone also says, we'll, we'll bring it up in the future. It's a good, it's a, it's actually a good... Look, we're going to have to, as we get bigger, we're going to have to talk about these corner cases. And we have to go through them and we have to think through what are realistic scenarios and what are not, and then what are... What are our appropriate governance strategies to mitigate against bad actors, right? So I think right. we, just to wrap it up on a general blockchain concept, just because that I was, I was supposed to be the theme today, guys, but we had too much fun. Uh, so we'll be back next week with more general uh, implications of Gridcoin and all the incentives and shit we got going on. Uh, but the we already have the governance structure in place, and it's networks, it's it's blockchain theory. So the we can, yes, develop better layers on top of it and stuff that makes it a little simpler, but we have an incentive to vet projects thoroughly and then afterwards continuously look for cheaters and uh, things that that pop up that show that maybe maybe these two projects are run by the same institution. There's only one person crunching it. They probably shouldn't be on the network. Let's delist them. Let's run a poll to delist them. Like We're incentivized to do that because this issue that you're bringing up, NC, that we will talk about further uh, in the future is an issue and maybe it attracts value maybe it adds value maybe it's nothing to really consider but we're incentivized as stakeholders of the system everyone is incentivized to keep an eye on the system and make sure it runs smoothly yep. uh and i want to add one more closing comment related to nc stuff i'm just going to remind everybody again when when it comes to voting when it comes to to network decisions at the end of the day the only thing that votes 
are effectively coined. Okay, not individuals. And I just want everyone to remember that. You don't know who is voting. You can't know it. The same actor could have 17 different wallets with 100 different addresses and vote, right? So you don't know and you can't know. There is no system that anyone has been able to devise yet that allows you to identify who, and I'm meaning a human being, is voting without implementing some draconian form of know your customer which we're not going to do. It's antithetical to the whole idea of what we're doing. So, you you know, whenever we get straight into these concepts about, well, you know, one person, one vote, forget it. There's no such thing. There can't be. So we're all, we're, we're going to have to accept this notion that people that have more coins have a, you know, if, if more, if a large number of coins happen to map to a specific individual, then they're going to have a large degree of influence and there's nothing you can do about it. It's the way it is. It's the way the world because works right now, too. Well, but the p- point I'm trying to make, everyone says, well, you know, we want to do something. Well, what? So what are you going to do? You're going to boost the priority of people that have a smaller, uh, smaller, quote unquote, apparent balances? Well, the big guy, all he's going to do is then chop up his wallet to a million addresses, each looking like they are very small. And then he's going to vote a million times. And then he has more power than he ever did. Every scenario that you can come up with that uses a nonlinear scheme has in extreme civil implement Im- implications to it. So I just want to remind that everybody has got to get it in their head that th- because we cannot identify individuals on the network uniquely, we're, we're severely constrained in the methodologies that we can use to, to make decisions. And you, you've got to think within that framework. It's very easy to, to start coming up with things that would work in the real world where someone walks into a poll and they hand them an ID, the person an ID card and the person verifies that they're on the voting rolls. And then you have one person, one vote. That's very difficult to do in the crypto world, right? So I just get that off my chest. <laughs> so uh, quick, quick, quick. Uh, Tosno says that would be a lot of effort and, and cost. It doesn't seem worth the effort. That's a lot of blockchain and how it operates. We want to develop systems that make it more expensive to do the bad thing than it would be just to play within the rules. Uh, so interesting comment there. NC says a problem is that those with the highest voting power might not be qualified to uh, disapprove projects that could be malicious. Yes, that's absolutely true, but there are there are solutions to that. We will not get into them here. Um, so there there are solutions to what you're proposing, and the the base root of what you're proposing. I think there's a lot of things in the way that make it negligible, but we're it's an interesting thought that we're going to discuss uh, in the future. And as Jim said, in particularly when we get bigger. So I don't think it's an issue right now. <laughs> so that's it, guys. Join us next week. I have to run to Point Creator. So join us next week, yep. uh, 3.30 p.m. on the Gridcoin Discord server, where we will be talking more about perhaps these questions, perhaps some more Reddit threads that people put out there that are very interesting. Keep it up, guys. Uh, and if none of that, then we'll be talking about the implications of Gridcoin. Have a great weekend, everyone. See you, Jay Ringo. Bye.